You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome back to Shot of History. I'm Stephanie. I am the color man, Big Dev. Teehee. I'm Calvin. I'm Ellie. I'm Melissa. Uh, Dave. Last, uh, yet again. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm okay with it. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know what the Bible says, Dave? The last will be first and the first will be last. So You know what Sam Kinison says? I know, I, know, I know you believe the Bible. Yeah, no, it's what Sam Kinison says. Make sure you always come last. That's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Sam Kinison said, ah! <laughs> <laughs> More of a yes and situation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) So Calvin is the historian today. Uh, We have a great episode coming up. But before we do that, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Here we go. Fuck Jefferson. Mm. I just finished my drink. I think I'm going to hold off for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. All right. Let's do it. All right. So I am going to be talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, Associate Justice, Supreme Court Justice. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right there? Wow. I am. I am. I thought I was started saying it, and then I was reading. Okay, I, I've got a few Ruth Bader Ginsburg books uh, that I've read over the years. Um, I've just always found uh, found the Supreme Court fascinating. I don't think I've done an episode about uh, major Supreme Court cases other than like Brown versus the Board of Education. Um, but the personalities on the Supreme Court are uh, are amazing. So maybe I'll do some episodes of other Supreme Court justices over the years as well. Maybe I'll do one on John Jay. But we're here to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she just. <sighs> yeah. Ugh. She put the, she put up the good fight. She, she really did. Uh, yeah. And, you know, fair warning to anybody who's listening to this episode. It might get a little emotional. This might be a, like a very special, you know, kind of show. So <laughs> tonight know. on a very special shot of history. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully I, I do uh, her justice. Um, cause she did a lot of great work, especially for women. Um, so Ruth Bader Ginsburg was born in the year 1933. Um, her name was Joan Ruth Bader. Uh, she was born to parents, Cecilia and Nathan Bader. Uh, her nickname was Kiki K I K I. Most people think it's Kiki, but her nickname was Kiki. Uh, because apparently she was a very uh, kicky child. She would, she would <laughs> kick a lot. Um, but we all know her as uh, Ruth, primarily because when she went to kindergarten, uh, there were two other Ruths in her class. There were, there were two other Jones in her class. And her mother said, well, that, that won't do. Um, you need to stand out. And uh, so they started calling her Ruth. They went by her middle name. And so that's why we know her as Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg today, um, but her full name was actually Joan Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Legally, um, she was uh, born into a Jewish family, uh, a devout Jewish family. 
which I think a lot of people missed that. I even missed that myself until I read an autobiography about her. I was like, Ginsburg, obviously, it's very, very clearly a Jewish last name. Right. But uh, uh, you didn't, you don't hear much about the, the private lives of the Supreme Court justices, generally speaking. So uh, born into a Jewish family. Uh, and her family was uh, fairly liberal in its thinking, at least uh, for for the time. So her her family always encouraged her to to follow after what she wanted to do, which left a lot of possibilities open uh, to strive for. And this is a time when you know women weren't told that they could be anything. You you essentially were going to be a homemaker, a mother, a wife. Right. That, that was it. You know, it's the, it's the 30s, right? But her family basically did the whole hey, you could be anything you want to be. You know, even though even though the world told women you couldn't be anything you wanted to be, her parents, at least at, in the home, told her, "Hey, you can uh, you can be anything that you that you strive for." They they never kind of quashed her dreams, um, but well, she did grow up in a, a particular era. She grew up in a time of uh, rampant anti-Semitism, right? You know, so 1933, World War uh, One and Two haven't happened at this. No, no, I'm trying to think, World War. Two has yeah. Uh, World War Two hasn't happened yet, and um, so anti-Semitism is taking uh, a foothold, a major foothold, of course, uh, in Europe at at that point, uh, and obviously in America. At that point, was not uh, known for its equality in any way, shape, or form, uh, and so she grew up with uh, a lot of. Um, anti-Semitism in the United States. So I know I talk a lot about uh, anti-black racism in the United States, you know, uh, you know, whites only, coloreds only, that, that kind of thing. Uh, but a lot of those signs would also say, hey, no blacks, no dogs, no blacks, no Jews. Uh, hmm. Interestingly enough. So, um, but her mother would instill in her, I mean, at, at this time, you know, World War II, you know, comes about, um, she and her family would listen to Franklin Roosevelt's fireside chats. You know, he did these, these radio addresses. Yep. Uh, and she would also listen to her mom read to her Eleanor Roosevelt's newspaper column. Now, we've done an episode on Eleanor Roosevelt, haven't we? Didn't we do an episode of Eleanor Roosevelt? Maybe not. Maybe? I believe so, I yeah. don't remember. Well, she had a newspaper column. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so her mom would read to her that. So she would listen to Franklin Roosevelt's radio addresses. She would uh, listen to her mom read Eleanor Roosevelt's newspaper column. Uh, and in addition to that, she would read a lot of um, you know, female authors and then also um, uh, biographies of, of great women. One of her favorites was Amelia Earhart. And she had early dreams of being a pilot. Just like Ellie Flagstaff wanted to be a pilot. <laughs> I heard. I heard through the grapevine that you wanted to be a pilot. That's all I know. That's 100% true. Yeah. Facts. Nothing but historical facts here. Yeah. <laughs> um, zero speculation. Yeah, zero speculation. So um, so her mom also taught her to be independent, which was also kind of unusual for the time. Like, hey, you know, do what men say, vote how men vote, you know, don't rock the boat too much. She actually taught her daughter, hey, you need to be independent. You need to take care of yourself. So this is very kind of, you know, again, unheard of. What a novel concept. Say again? What I said, a, what, yeah, a what a novel concept, novel. yeah. It was a novel yeah. concept yeah. In, in, in the 40s, right? Um, so she ends up, you know, she, obviously like most kids, she ends up going to school and she tried to join the choir, found out that uh, no matter how hard Ellie Flagstaff worked, 
Ruth Bader could not hold a tune in a bucket. She, she was a monotone. Absolutely monotone. Um, so she learned to play the piano. She learned to play the piano. Okay. Uh, she also found out that she couldn't cook to save her life. Oh. Uh, she didn't. But she, at this point, she's starting to understand the, the, the differences in how boys and girls are treated. Like she, she looks at. Uh, she she's in school. She didn't understand how hey, how come how come the boys get to take shop class and the girls have to take home economics. That was a class. That was a class that was still taught when I was in high school. Yeah. Oh, same. Anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, she's taught by her mother to be independent, but she's forced into spaces that women were thought to be. Hey, you you could sing in the choir. And you can you can cook. That's what you, what you're supposed to do. She couldn't hold a note, and she couldn't cook at all. <laughs> um, so, so that was right out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but what she did do well in is she excelled in math, and she excelled in science, and she excelled in, in social studies. Uh, when she reached middle school in eighth grade, she ended up writing uh, political pieces in her eighth grade newspaper. <laughs> kind of nuts, right? Uh, not nuts, but you know, I know I was not writing. It. I don't think I was writing political pieces in eighth grade. Yeah. Uh, she also, like I said earlier, her family was devout, a devout Jewish family, and so she also wrote for her synagogue's newsletter, also political. Hmm. So um, she she gets out of out of um, middle school, goes on to high school. Her first year of high school, she finds out that her mother has cancer. Oh yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So um, during that time, she starts to focus on class. She starts to focus on extracurricular activities. She joins a bunch of after-school clubs, things like that. Um, and she focuses on dating. That's what that she kind of did. But she didn't. She didn't talk too much about her mother's illness. Because basically, I guess her, her thought was, hey, you know, um, I don't want to ruin everybody else's experience by by talking about how terrible it is at home right now to watch your mom dying of, of this terrible disease. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, her mom's her mom's got cancer. She's she's. Going hey, to Cal, do- really yeah. quick. Hitting your desk and we can hear it. I'm, done. I'm, done <laughs> I'm just desk. throwing it out there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm done doing it. Can I can I tap my pen like this? No. No. I play Michael Jack Thriller and this episode still makes the internet. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for my rights. I have rights. <laughs> you do. But just we're asking you not to do that. Can I drink this alcohol? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Not make us copyrighted. thank you because i would have kept doing this now i don't know what to do with my hands so (laughs) well just hold them up like that the whole time all right right. so um so her mom uh prior to this diagnosis of of cancer had been actually uh telling ruth hey you know wouldn't it be great if you went to cornell 
she worked hard and you got into Cornell University. Uh, and her mom really is like the typical Jewish mom pressure. All my Jewish friends are like, my mom's pressured me on everything. And so her mom was raised in an era, obviously before her daughter, where it was absolutely, you know, much more prevalent. Uh, hey, you grow up, don't have aspirations to go on to college, uh, get married. That's what you do. Uh, your brother, he can go to Cornell. Right. Yeah, you end up uh, popping out babies. Sorry if you hear my dog running around here. Um, there he is. You're foot and pregnant. That's where you need to be. Yeah. Um, her mom never got to go to Cornell, and so she mm-hmm. encouraged her daughter, "Hey, you know, you should you should be able to live the life that I wasn't able to." Right. Right. Um, so she initially encouraged her to do that, but. Um, <laughs> dog. <laughs> all around. All right. Um, Dogs on wood floors. I know. <laughs> as she got, I apologize. As she, um, as she got sicker as my sicker, um, she told her that maybe. <laughs> oh, he's going outside. He's going outside. It's fine. Uh, never happened in the studio. All right. <laughs> Now somebody else's dog is barking in the background, I think. So, uh, as her mom got Josie. Sicker, she, um, her mom told her that maybe, maybe, Ruth, you should stay closer to home. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't uh, travel five hours away to Ithaca, New York. Maybe you should stay closer to home, be close to your dad, just in case I die. Um, well, she gets into Cornell. Uh and the day of her graduation, or the day before her graduation, I'm sorry, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's mom, or R- Ruth Bader's mom, passes away from cancer. Aww. She doesn't go to her graduation ceremony, her own graduation ceremony, um, because obviously she's she's dealing with everything that's going on. And all throughout her her religious upbringing, she was allowed to speak and ask the four questions at a, at a Seder. If you've never been to a Seder, go to a Seder, even if you're religious, they're amazing. Uh, they're amazing dinners. Um, but uh, there's this tradition of asking the four questions. She was allowed to do that in her family's, um, you know, at, at her family's Seder. But when it came to her mother passing away, uh, there is a ceremony. I want to say it was called a chai. I may be saying the wrong uh, uh, ceremony, but only men were allowed to speak. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't even allowed to properly mourn <clears throat> mother. So uh, her mom dies. She goes through this. She's noticing these these uh, differences between men and women, how men and women are treated uh, continually again. And her mom had encouraged her to stay home just in case she died. But she ended up going to Cornell, uh, to, uh, Cornell that fall, uh, primarily because uh, she just she, she had to get away from home. All, all her mom's memories were there. She just yeah. She yeah. had to. So uh, she ended up rooming with uh, with four other girls, other four other city girls uh, that were also Jewish. Uh, she kind of questioned, like, did the school set this up this way? Like, hey, <laughs> is it because you wanted us to be more comfortable, or is it to make the men more comfortable at the school by right. putting the, the, the these these women together? Um, and most of the men at the university thought that the women were there to find husbands, to get that MRS degree. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. So, uh, 
college I went to. Oh, they that's why they let women into college. School for women. Um, but you know, college college people do what college do. You know, college students do what college uh, students do. So it's no different today. Hey, you know what? I'm supposed to be studying, but everybody's doing the whole social interaction thing. Hey, let, let's right. go to Taco Bell. Let's let's go to the movies. I know we're supposed to study for this test, but let's go to this thing socially. So everywhere. Do people say, hey, let's go to Taco Bell, like just nonchalantly? Because like when I'm like wanting Taco Bell, I'm very serious. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> on my college campus, Taco people Bell. Would knock on my door and they'd be like, hey, Taco <laughs> Bell run, you in? I was like, I am, am so tired. Yes, I'm in. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> right? Like, they're going to say no to Taco Bell. Yeah. Taco Bell. Final year of college, I sang in an acapella chorus, and we were leaving to go on a tour for the spring, and we're on Rochester Road, and they had torn down the Taco Bell to rebuild Taco Bell with the new model, and you should have seen the students on this bus freak out. (laughs) Taco Bell gone? Where am I going to eat? I'm going to (laughs) starve. So uh, anyway, uh, I don't think that Ruth Bader can show you how important Taco Bell is to college kids. College was, you know, colleges are what they are. They're these social, uh, you know, fishbowls, and so to speak. Taco Bell is a main food group. She would go to different places to try to study. She would try to study in her in her dorm, but you know, the girls were talking about the boys, and then she'd go to the library, and people were still talking in the library. So she ended up studying in the bathroom. That's where she would get most of her studying done. Right. So um, she uh, ends up meeting uh, Martin D. Kinsberg. Sorry about that. Uh, in uh, when she's at Cornell, uh, a little bit about this guy. He was tall. He was blonde. He was a star of Cornell's golf team. Uh, he was a sophomore, 18 years old. He was a chemistry major, but not too serious. He was serious about golf, but not about his uh, studies. Golf was first. Uh, she said, uh, in her uh, biography, he was funny, outgoing, and easygoing. Uh, he was a social chairman of his fraternity, and he was uh, from Long Island, New York. His father was a successful department store executive, and like Ruth, he even liked opera. I didn't talk about that earlier. She liked um, opera. <laughs> so this was the guy for her, right? Uh, so they're in college. They're, they're taking these classes. Um he liked her. She liked him. She liked the fact that he cared that she had a brain. Mm-hmm. Most of the girls were smarter than the boys there, but they would pretend that they weren't as smart as the boys to, you know, you know, make sure that they stroke their ego. So, and uh, to hopefully get a husband. Like, yeah. And to get that husband. Yeah, land one of those husbands. Get that MRS degree. So, um, <laughs> Super important. At this time, McCarthyism is going on, the Red Scare, communism, uh, and she was taking a class in constitutional law, and she felt that she had to fight against these ideas of of McCarthyism, Uh, and one of her professors challenged her to, hey, why don't you become a lawyer? Why don't you fight for people outside of yourself? Become a lawyer. But at that time, women didn't become lawyers. Women didn't become lawyers. Schools rarely admitted women to law school. And if you went through law school and graduated with a, a law degree, you weren't going to get hired. Right. right. Just, just the world that women uh, inhabited. Well, um, she was kind of asking that question. Should I do this? Marty, uh, her, her boyfriend at the time, hey, he told her, hey, do it anyway. 
And guess what? He dropped his chemistry degree, and he also decided to uh, huh? not agree. Yeah. Hmm. Get the same degree. Isn't that cute? That's, That's so cute. cute. I yeah. love it. My wife and I kind of do the same thing. Like, I'm in mortgages. She's in mortgages. We can talk to each other about our jobs. We understand what the other person's uh, saying. Actually, um, I talk about my job, and she listens. And then when she starts talking about her job, I'm like, I'm too tired. <laughs> I need to be I need to be, I need to be more shocked. Party. Anyone? Is anyone shocked? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? No. Bueller? I no. I am not Marty. I am not Marty Ginsburg. <laughs> I need to be more like Marty Ginsburg. You do. I do. Um, what so do? Decided, yeah. What's the life preserver, kid? Um, <laughs> they they uh, they both decide to go to uh, uh, to apply to uh, Harvard Law School. Uh, in addition to that, they decide to uh, to get married. <laughs> um, and uh, so he goes. He's a year ahead of her. He's a year ahead of her. So he finishes at Cornell. He goes to law school, and she finishes her last year at Cornell. They get married. After they get ma- they they go to Europe on their honeymoon. After they get married and come back from Europe, uh, Marty had been part of the ROTC, so he ends up having to take a two year break to go to Oklahoma for his ROTC assignment. And while they were there in Oklahoma, she worked in the Social Security office, which was kind of a newer office at the time, uh, and she saw discrimination against Native Americans being given benefits. In order to have, uh, in order to get your benefits. You had to provide dun 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 birth certificate. Show me your birth certificate. Mm. Problem was, the United States was not giving birth certificates to Native Americans. They were offering them benefits so long as you had a birth certificate, but the United States government did not offer birth certificates to Native Americans. They could they would show up. They're like, "Hey, I got my fishing license. It's got my name, my address on it." They have all their forms of ID. But if they could not provide their birth certificate, they couldn't get the benefits the government was offering them. Uh, and Ruth took notice of this in the Social Security office. And generally, it was the white men that would say, hey, look, you don't have your birth certificate. I'm not giving you these benefits. She bent the rules and she would approve. She would approve. Uh, their my request. girl. Yeah, my girl. RBG. My girl. Right? Uh, and mm. she is RBG at this point. Um, so I'm going to go on or, and say that they were white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so she um they they do what married people do they did the nasty uh tarantada taran whatever was tarantella uh which is coming up in a future episode um uh, (laughs) maybe past episode i don't know uh but she uh they have a baby jane carol ginsburg and at this point, then, of course, she does what a lot of women do at this point. She's a career woman. She now has a baby. She starts questioning if she can get by as a mother and a student. Uh, her father-in-law tells her, hey, look, if you really want to do it, you're going to find a way to do it. You're going to make it happen. So she's encouraged by her father-in-law. Uh, I mean, she, I'm, he, I'm not going to help you do it. But if you can figure out a way to do it, you go ahead and do you. That's yeah. He absolutely helped. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so, uh, she, she felt encouraged by that. And so the same liberalism that she got from her parents, she also found in, in her uh, in her in-laws. So that was awesome. She just found all the right people. She did. She really did. Yeah, and, that's um, great. That's awesome. She, is just surrounding yourself with the right people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But to find so, supportive, this many supportive people, 
for a woman back then. And this way, I feel like I am Marty. My wife's like, I want to do this. I'm like, do it. There's no reason you should be able to do that. I ain't going to help you, but. (laughs) (laughs) But do it. No. (laughs) I mean, you may tank our family, but. No. No, absolutely. might be broken living in a refrigerator box, but. (laughs) (laughs) So she uh, she ends up uh, getting into Harvard Law. Right, uh, she's one of nine women admitted that year that she she ended up going, Good and she falls, uh, she falls in love with uh, civil procedure. It's the stuff that all of us would find boring, but she found it amazing. Right. Uh, it, but she also, in, when she's taking these classes, it's kind of it's almost like uh, I, I don't I hate to compare it to this, but Legally Blonde. Hmm. Yeah. Blonde. Like everybody assumes that the girl is dumb. Yep, and so she feels. She felt if she spoke up, she had to absolutely be the smartest in the room, and she absolutely had to be right on the matter because of the weight of women in this all-boys club. If I say anything wrong, I'm going to say, oh, look, it's because she's a woman. Right. If a guy got something wrong, it's because he was a guy. It's because he was wrong about that, and he he could obviously get it right. If a woman got it wrong, it's because she was a woman. Right. Because we just all dumb. Right. She, she Nothing felt that up way. here. Nothing. There was also they also had the inconvenience that there were two women's restrooms on the campus. So if she was taking a test in in one uh uh one building, there were no women's bathrooms in there. She would have to leave that test, run across the quad to the building across the quad, and run up a few flights of stairs, use the bathroom there, and then make her way back across to her building. Good. Women didn't typically weren't typically admitted to Harvard Law School, so they didn't have a lot of women's restrooms. Um, which the reverse of this is true of the Pentagon. There are twice as many bathrooms in the Pentagon as needed today because when it was built, separate but equal was a thing. Mm-hmm. So they built twice as many bathrooms in the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, um, but we're not talking about the Pentagon. We're talking about yeah. Ruth Bader So um, she's there. Uh, after her first year, she's got highest grades in the class. She's invited to the Harvard Law Review. Which only the whoop, top students at Harvard were uh, invited to, um, but she had to do a lot of research and write a lot of uh, write a lot of papers uh, and, and stories for the Harvard Law Review, and she wasn't allowed into certain libraries to do the research because she was a woman. Hmm. So she would have to call and have a guy go get whatever article she needed to read <laughs> because she wasn't admitted, even though she was on the Harvard Law Review. Right? Oh my god. You ever just want to. Yeah. Like hearing this kind of stuff, like makes me want to fight. Like I want to like punch people in the face. Well, and and her too, obviously. My my wife, my wife is probably getting angry that I'm even doing this episode because she's been asking me to watch a show called Miss America. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm talking about women's issues. It's like, oh, I'm absolutely going to have to watch this show now. (laughs) Yeah, you you Um, should. Um, but there's so much going on in the world. I'm like, I don't want to cry more. She's not allowed to this library. She's invited to this yearly dinner with the Dean for first year students, uh, second year students. Uh, the Dean asks her point blank. How do you feel uh, about the fact that you've taken the spot away from a man? <laughs> and, and then there was a Harvard law review banquet. And you were only, you were allowed to invite a guest, but they could only be male. And one of her greatest influences was, you know, her mother, and then her mother-in-law, and she was only allowed to invite a man 
to the banquet. And she was also taught as a kid, uh, you know, as a kid and as a young woman, don't make a huge fuss about certain right. things. Sometimes it's, uh, it does a little good to play deaf. Pick your battles, yeah. Yeah, pick your battles, right? Um, so, uh, unfortunately, in her third year of uh, being at Harvard, Marty's dying of cancer. Oh. Yeah. So, uh. she ends up taking, she, now here's the deal. She ends up taking all of his class notes. So, she goes to his classes, and she goes to her classes. Okay. She, classes, she takes care of their kid. And she takes care of her own homework. Love. Lazy piece of shit. True love. <laughs> Fucking A. Like, seriously. <laughs> no, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> so um, he ends up getting better. He finishes law school. Again, he's a year ahead of her. And he's offered a job in New York. So she transfers with him. She ends up going to Columbia Law School. So she doesn't finish at Harvard. She ends up finishing at Columbia. She's immediately invited to the Columbia Law Review. Her reputation precedes her because she's the smartest person at Harvard. She's now the smartest person at Columbia. People are afraid of her coming there because she's so smart. Like other people are like, our grades are going to go down if she's here. Um, hey, girl. <laughs> she graduates from, uh, from Columbia. She's like, is, is, she tied with someone else to be the top person in her class. Can't find a job. Mm. Cannot find a job. Uh, Gerald Gunther is one of her law professors at Columbia. He pulled some strings. And he got her a job as a clerk for Judge Edmund L. Palmieri in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York. All right, let's be clear. He didn't just pull. He didn't pull strings. He threatened him. He threatened. Him. He said, "If you, right. not, yeah, if you do not hire her, yeah, I will never send you another reference ever. Not one. I will not send wow. you to be a law student." Wow. Uh, and he said, "And if she doesn't work out for you, which she will work out for you, you of can course. then hire a guy to do the job." And right. she ends up working out for him. Now, something you should know: the U.S. District Court. So here's how this works: U.S. District Court are the federal courts of the of the of the land. If your case fails in the U.S. District Court, then it goes to the U.S. Court of Appeals. The only court higher than that is the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm landing the plane here. I'm almost done. Kind of. Almost. Here we go. So uh, she ends up uh, getting a job with him. She gets, of course, a lot of job offers after clerking for him. <laughs> But she ultimately chooses to go to Sweden uh, to work on a project on international civil procedure. She saw a lot of women judges there, even women who were pregnant, which you would never see in the United States. Yeah. She goes back, doesn't get a job at either of her alma maters. She ends up taking a job at Rutgers Law, uh, but she's offered a, lo- a much lower salary than her male counterpart, who was just being hired as well. She asked why. Oh, of course. And they said, well, he has a uh, uh, penis. Well, yeah. <laughs> wife and children to support, and you have a husband with a well-paying job. Well, you see, he got a reason, really good reason. Yeah. So at this point, she also gets pregnant again. She ends up hiding her pregnancy. She ends up wearing clothes that are bigger, uh, so that uh, she wouldn't lose her job, and she gets her contract extended. Now, outside of the classroom, the world's changing. Uh, civil rights. Uh, demands for civil rights, racial justice, equality for women, and uh, the end for the civil, you know, the end of the, not civil war, sorry, <laughs> the end of the, the Vietnam War. Hey, bro, she ain't that old. Damn. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> My daughter, she might as well be. I don't know. Let's be real. The civil war ever really end. It's True. It's not over yet. Still Thank not you. over. So um, she, she, ends up, she, she ends up signing up as a volunteer lawyer for the ACLU. She took on a lot of cases dealing with women's issues. Uh, and 
she's and she ends up being asked by women at Rutgers uh, for her to teach a class on discrimination on the basis of sex. There's a great movie also called that on the basis of sex. Yep. So um, she ends up doing a lot of research. She finds out that even the Supreme Court has supported stereotypes about gender roles and the place of women in society. Uh, so she ends up creating the class. She ends up speaking at conferences about it. She ends up writing extensive articles on the topic. And she begins uh, focusing on the 14th Amendment, uh, the Equal Protection Clause. Right. Uh, and she believed that that should apply to women the way that it uh, applied to people of color, which was a revolutionary idea at the time. So she ends up, interestingly enough, she ends up taking a tax case for a man. It's the first major case she ends up taking up. And this, this guy was denied a tax benefit for caring for his ailing mother. And the reason why he was denied the tax benefit is because caretaking was for women. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's a man. I know. <laughs> He could go get a job. And so Martin was the one who actually gave her this case. She says, I don't do tax law. He says, I think you should take this case. She oh it. She's like, yeah, this is screwed up. But she felt it would further her cause. Like, hey, look, this ultimately is meant to show that no difference between men gender and women. Gender equality. It's not. Right? only for women, right? That, that was really what she, she ended up uh, fighting. She ends up winning the case, of course. Yeah. Uh, her first case in front of the Supreme Court uh, was a case called Reed versus Reed. Um, and she wasn't the, the speaking lawyer on this, but she wrote the brief. The Supreme Court justices, uh, the, the guy who did speak, terrible job, did an absolutely terrible job. But the Supreme Court justices all read the brief. And based on the brief that she wrote, they won the case. Hmm. She's badass like that. Yeah. Um, so she starts slowly focusing on certain cases to kind of move the needle for women's rights. Uh, she was very strategic about what she did, what cases she took. Uh, that didn't mean that other cases didn't make it to the Supreme Court. Some failed miserably, which set her back. Um, but she worked towards the ERA, which is uh, what Miss America is all about, which is why my wife wants uh, me to watch it. Um, and uh, <laughs> the, the ERA was passed uh, by Congress in 1972. But it has not become part of the Constitution itself. It's very hard to get a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only have 27 amendments to the Constitution at this point. Uh, she ends up becoming a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia in 1980. They moved to uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, a few years later, 1982, Ronald Reagan nominates uh, Antonin Scalia to that same court in 1982. They become very, very fast friends even though they were ideologically opposed to each other. Uh, they liked a lot of the same things, including opera. They related mm-hmm. a lot of those things. Um, but they were absolutely on the opposite end of the spectrum. But in 1992, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was nominated as the second woman after Sandra Day O'Connor to sit on the United States Supreme Court. Uh, primarily because, uh, yes, she was liberal, but she wasn't so liberal. She was somewhat liberal and somewhat conservative. And that went over very well with both Republicans and Democrats. And she was confirmed quite easily to the United States Supreme Court, becoming the second woman to serve. The third woman to serve is still there. Uh, Sotomayor. Now. Uh, and uh, that is, th- those, are, those are the notes that I have on uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She has sat on a number of Great cases over the years, uh, as the as the court has shifted uh, more uh, more to the right, 
uh, she has uh, had a stronger and stronger uh, dissenting opinion. She would write a lot of dissenting opinions. Um, but her her voice and her work towards uh, women's rights and equality uh, cannot be understated at all. And she will be greatly missed. I fear what's going to happen with the Supreme Court now. We will see what happens. But uh, she had a fantastic life. And I think that we should uh, memorialize her appropriately. So, Absolutely. She's Cheer. one of my heroes. So here's to that wonderful woman. Mm. Yeah, I'm crying a little bit. <sighs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Been a, it's been a rough week. <laughs> it's been tough. Whew. All right. Mm-hmm. And one of my my favorite uh, things that she did in her life was that she she was the first uh, Supreme Court justice to uh, officiate a same sex marriage, and that was a really big deal. I mean, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Whoa! 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 Uh, whoa! Talking about women's rights, I wasn't talking about all that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ooh, nobody's talking about that. Jeez. The gays, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a whole <laughs> it's the gay uh, agenda. They're trying to turn everybody that way, you know. They are, they are totally trying to turn all the people's gays. <laughs> no, she, no, absolutely fantastic uh, woman. She's going to be missed on the court. Um, obviously her, her colleagues have all come out and said uh, amazing things about her. Even politicians who were very quickly trying to replace her are right. saying uh, <laughs> about her. I don't think Ugh. that takes away from absolutely the the person that she was. And uh, I think that we should absolutely her, you know, honor that. But anyway. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I got, that's all I got to say about yeah, that. Yeah. I was like, before we, uh, before I like sob out loud, let's just uh, let's, uh, thank you, Calvin, for doing this show. I wanted to do a show on her, but I was like, you know, it's it's still too fresh. Like I couldn't. There, there's a, there's just so much that you know to her career yeah. and yeah. what she's meant. So, uh, but anyway, all right. Yeah, I think it's time to like halfway yeah. through. Pop out the plugs. Somebody. <laughs> All right. There's no crying in the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously, uh, leading questions with Calvin Moore um, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I my name, Calvin Moore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my name's in the title. I'm like a rapper that way. I say my name sometimes. Uh, so yeah, uh, check us out. Uh, of course, also on the Podcast Detroit app. And uh, as always, fuck Jefferson. <laughs> Uh, Source Point Press, Deepwater Games, Oxide Media, uh, N3 Art, all that shit that I'm involved with. Fuck Steve, fuck Joe Taters. Fuck Joe Taters. Confidential is coming back, and we are found on the podcast Detroit Network. Um, so wherever you're listening to this, you can find us there too. Um, you can find uh, our Instagram page where we feature cosplayers that we've interviewed um, at cosplay confidential and on Facebook, we are cosplay confidential podcast. So when we, as we're coming back, we're going to be uh, after our hiatus since April, we're going to be um, talking with cosplayers about their experiences cosplaying during the pandemic. 
So it'll be interesting. So come and join us. Showing up at Kroger dressed like Iron Man. What's that like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, you got to have an outlet. Try to do. Hey, my kid can do it. Adults can do it. I don't, That's what I'm know. saying. She comes to Kroger dressed as Elsa, Anna, any kind of princess. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, check out my website, stephaniemenard.com. That's all I got. For almost all of your stuff in Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, again, you know, podcast Detroit, all the things, uh, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the website. Uh, and you can see all of all of the shows uh, that we have going on. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to Shot of History. Until next time, I'm Stephanie. I'm the Color Man Big Dev. I'm Calvin. I'm Ellie. I'm Melissa. 